Let's let's keep you hungry for a little bit longer. Hey, alone. Uh, uh, well, oh, let me start this one again. <laughs> Hello, hey. Chris. <laughs> <laughs> you you caught me by surprise. Hello, Mario. How are you? I'm doing fine. Nice to be here. Yeah, nice to be back with you for yet another episode of this fun project, um, where we talk about things very high north and very very low south where we talk about the polar areas and pretty much everything that's going on there from wildlife to um to the culture to politics to the animals and of course also um about one thing that we want to talk about today which is more about the well capturing that in pictures which is one of the most important ways i think to carry that into the world and to make people aware of what's going on here and uh, maria you've been you've been up there a lot and you've shot a lot of uh, photos yes i have um i've been up there a lot i've been trying to shoot photos but i'm not uh, a professional like you are well i've seen some of your so. photos and uh, would would probably disagree a bit here you're doing you've you have you have acquired a lot of um the your skills through just doing it a lot yes well i've i've tried to i tried to look critically at my previous pictures and uh and see and uh, and also learn from others but uh technology is also evolving very quickly so i uh when i started it was uh film photography and uh that's quite different from digital <laughs> now, now, photography, now you're dating say. yourself old man yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm dating myself <laughs> yeah. yeah but yeah, I, st I started in film photography as well so yeah um i think that was a very good school and uh, to be honest we um my better half monica and i we are uh, both partially back to film photography she more than i but um film photography has a few things that are very interesting and very helpful when it comes to taking pictures so it's not died, it hasn't died quite quite yet well photography in uh, in a in a in a harsh climate uh is uh is something that uh puts a heavy toll on the equipment true and uh and if you uh like uh, one even even at the beginning of digital photography uh, like in uh, at the early 2000s uh, um when we were going out uh to do research for example for my phd on on walrus in northeast greenland we had we chose to take a, uh, a film camera with us instead of a digital camera because uh, of the uh, endurance of the uh, like uh, the battery uh, um, charging a battery out in the field is not easy and uh, and if you have a film camera you can go like years without having to change the battery <laughs> right the camera but their temperatures have influences there as well and um let's let's just go into a few of these things let's uh, i want to talk about a bit of the technical side um i want to talk a bit about the the, the the composition of images i want to talk a bit about the like lenses and things to use and and techniques to use um most people listening will probably um by now know you quite well because you have um pretty much Uh, delivered the content the main content of of most of the episodes with your uh insight into marine mammals into um like the scientific procedures and things uh, what some people might not know is that uh i am a professional photographer and i have been doing photography i don't know for over 30 years now uh and professionally for not quite that long but still um 10 to 15 years so i have 
um, I've been to like very warm climates, very cold climates, and uh, so I think I think I'll be able to talk a bit about this. And the first thing is, yeah, temperatures and batteries. That is one of the things that <laughs> that can get in the way and. Um, it's getting better now, but batteries are temperature sensitive. A battery that is cold doesn't perform as well as a battery that's warm. And you you might know this. Um, <laughs> I, I remember the times back home uh, when the remote control for the television stopped working because the battery was running out. And then you would take the batteries out and put them in your hand and warm them up and put them back in to get like a few more minutes of usage out of them. So... Uh, raising the temperature will help the battery perform better and that's that's the one thing that i will uh, that i used to typically do is have a have a spare battery with me and have it inside an in, inside pocket of my jacket so it was kept warm so if if the battery in the camera would uh, stop working or wouldn't provide enough uh, enough power you could just swap it out for the warm battery put that in the camera and put that cold battery in that compartment to warm it up and then you could swap the batteries back and forth almost like almost like a, a divers sharing like one one uh, respirator so that's that's yeah, kind that's, of what... uh, that's uh that's that's one technique um of course uh, with the with the cold you also and with the going from warm to cold and close to the body and out uh, you also have the problem of condensation that is which, another uh, problem yes uh condensation um especially if you if you are somewhere where you have a very warm inside if the camera and the equipment is really cold the cold air uh, will not hold as much uh, liquid not as much uh, water as the, the warm air so you will have the cold camera and then you come to the inside and you have uh, more humidity and you have a warmer temperature and that water will instantly condensate on your camera and uh, on the metal surfaces, on the glass surfaces, all those surfaces that store the cold very well. And uh, what what good trick here is to, before you come inside, put the camera into like a an airtight plastic bag, for example, like a Ziploc bag or something, um, and zip it up and then let it warm up slowly. With most cameras, it's not a real problem. The condensation doesn't really hurt the cameras. Uh, people tend to be very careful about their expensive camera, but they are quite robust, so a bit of condensation won't really hurt the camera. But it, of course, gets in the way if you want to photograph inside. So um, that that is something that to at least think about. I had this experience when I was uh, shooting, well, when I was walking, uh, what was that? I don't even remember, remember where it was, but I was walking outside, it was cold, and I had the camera around my shoulder and then I went into a greenhouse, which <laughs> exaggerated that effect just dramatically because it was a tropical greenhouse. And uh, I wanted to shoot some butterflies in there. And it just I, took me like half an hour for the camera to get to the point where I could actually use it. I was I was cleaning the lens. I was wiping the lens off and it would fog up within like 20 seconds. Acclimatization. Acclimatization, yes. yeah. How about um, your fingers? Uh, fingers, I mean, I personally am not too worried about that. I'm, I have, I, I'm, I have my built-in heater, so my fingers tend to warm up quite well. But that is true to maybe minus ten degrees, and then it gets a uh, Celsius, and that then it gets difficult. And uh, I will have gloves. There are gloves for photographers, specific gloves that have like uh, fingers that you can flip open. 
um, or mittens that you can flip the top off uh, and then expose the fingers to take photos. Uh, what I found is that um, I have a pair of, um, I think they're goatskin gloves that are warm enough to keep the wind off. And they are made so that the that the index finger and the thumb are thinner leather. So you can actually use the camera through the glove. You can feel your way around on the camera through the glove. And are those spe specific for uh, photography, or um, they are they are made by a German company called Koof C O O P H. Um, they also have an advantage because they are, and we're not being paid by them, right? That's, that's not an no. advertisement. Mm -hmm. But no, no. Um, they they are also they they are also coded on the fingers to allow for touchscreen operation because most oh. uh, modern cameras or many modern cameras have touchscreens and. This way you won't really have to take them off. I've used them uh, for several cold climate trips, one to Siberia now and the one to Svalbard, and they worked quite well. So I'm really happy with have those. You, I was wondering, Chris, uh, like when you are out in the cold, sometimes, for example, your eye might uh, might produce some uh, some teardrops or something or extra that, right. that go down. But uh, so if you put your eye that is kind of wet close to the camera and the camera is below freezing do you have a, a, anybody that has gotten stuck to you the camera <laughs> you mean you mean like like licking like, a, like, like a the lamp tongue hole? in the refrigerator no. yes exactly <laughs> no? no it hasn't happened um, my eyes do, do not really tear up that much in the cold but some for some people that helps and um for that it's helpful if you're if you have a pair of gloves that has a back like on the back of your hand has a soft surface mm. to wipe off yeah. your face but some some ex have that especially for that purpose so you could yeah. wipe them off usually my eye doesn't get too close to the camera when i when i shoot um well first of all with some some uh cameras nowadays you don't even have the eyepiece anymore you have an lcd that you look onto um but if you if you have a viewfinder that you look through um, my eye don't, doesn't get that close, but what I do, um, and that goes into the technique area, is that I try to to keep contact between the camera's viewfinder and my my eyebrow, yeah. and that contact helps reduce camera shake. Keep, that contact yeah. gives uh, that contact gives stability when you shoot. Unless unless you're shivering because it's too cold. <laughs> well, then you <laughs> you should probably do something <laughs> you about get that. Inside. But now you you mentioned actually the uh, the LCDs or the uh, the screens, and I remember uh, in ninety eight and ninety nine I was up in in Greenland in uh, April, and it was minus thirty minus thirty five outside Celsius, and um, and I had um, a small uh, video recorder. Mm -hmm. And I actually, the LCD went totally bonkers. Yes. There. I mean, the temperature was too low. I mean, LCDs are liquid crystal displays. So what they what they do is they have uh, two sheets of glass, and in between those are spacers, and then there is really liquid in there, and uh, that liquid needs to be liquid in order to work. And uh, by by applying electricity, they change polarity, and this is how they get dark and bright. And this is pretty much how these LCDs work. And uh, at a certain point, they will become slower. At one point, um, I remember I had a uh, years ago I had a wristwatch with an LCD display, and in winter it was always slower. I mean, it wasn't slower in terms of measuring the time, but the display between like the different seconds would just take a while, and it was like molasses. And that can help with uh, that can happen with your LCDs nowadays as well. They are not freeze-proof, so at certain temperatures they will 
probably stop working, which also means that if you have a camera, um, the more analog, and this is where we come back to the film cameras, the more analog you go, the the better it is. But um, I think that starts at temperatures under minus 25, minus 30. Um, I have had my, my digital cameras to minus minus 20 celsius and i've never had a problem with them so but if you go more extreme that might be a consideration for sure and the camera might be a damage permanently um well like if you go to like you went you went to siberia went to the lake baikal and, and this um it's the temperatures can be very severe down there like if you go down to minus 40 do you True. risk damage in your camera i wouldn't think so i mean uh, you have to look in the manual of your camera there are uh, clear recommendations within which temperature range you can operate them and within which temperature range you can store them so uh i you you might not be um you might not have a happy camera if you try to operate it uh, under let's say minus 30 um, but that is probably still within the storage limit. So, um, I, I personally, I'm, as, a, as I'm a professional photographer, I would probably chance it. I would risk it um, because the camera is is a tool for me, and if it doesn't work, I, it gets fixed, and mm. that's how I, I, I treat them as tools. Um, and you can see that on my cameras; they have plenty of marks on them from scratches and things. Um, but that's yeah, because I use them, and I'm. They're not too precious to me. Um, so I would probably chance it, but don't hold me to it if, if you break your camera this way. Um, they, got, they got patina. They will, yeah, they will. And that's every scratch is a mark of pride, you know. Like, I, have a sto- I have a story for every single scratch. So, so the, um, the, uh, the LCD might get slower with the, uh, in response with the temperature, but the, like most of the cameras, even the, uh, the uh, analog cameras, they've got some electronics for like if you're using programs, uh, would uh, like the electronics usually respond quite okay, even at I would, low temperatures. Yeah. I wouldn't be worried about that. Um, I would also, um, it helps if you, for example, if the LCD really starts to slow down, like let's say the LCD that gives you the information about what your shutter speed is and so on, um, but you still have an optical viewfinder, like on a DSLR, mm. I would I would still take photos, but it helps to then know what your camera is doing without really looking. So really knowing your equipment well is uh, is, is going to help you. It's also going to help you in case you encounter wildlife because wildlife doesn't pose for you. It doesn't hold still. Um, and, and you have to be quick sometimes. You have to be really quick sometimes to catch that bird or to catch that uh, that whale that is just sticking its fluke out of the water for a few seconds. Um, you have to be ready for that. And that that it really requires you to know the equipment well. This is one of the, my, my first and main recommendations uh, when I do a photo tour uh, people do not buy a new camera a couple of weeks before you come because you will not have had enough time with it and you won't know it. And I've seen too many people fight the new equipment instead of taking great photos. So it's always better to have a camera that you have known for a while. And I, I eat my own dog food. I have done that same thing um, when I just got a new camera. I made sure to get it at least three months before I traveled with it. Too. And and then I got some practice under my belt to really know how it's working. But it was very good, uh, like being uh, 
part of the expedition, but not uh, being part of of your group directly. It was very uh, it was very good to uh, to experience the way you you treated your your guests. I mean, you you were always uh, helping the guests in uh, in finding out uh, like how to take better pictures. I mean that's that's what it's about for for if if you do a photo tour um I I do not see myself as just someone who takes people there and then lets them do their thing but I, I always offer help and the the levels of the skill levels of the people that participate in these photo tours are always very diverse so you will have the professionals who just They'll hap- they're happy to be there. They know their stuff. And then there's always someone with like a smaller camera or with uh, less experience who might need a few hints here and there. And I'm always trying to keep an open eye to, to make sure that everyone doesn't, doesn't just have a great experience, but that they will also return home with great, with great photos. I mean, that's pretty yeah. much what a lot of people go there, go, go there for. Yeah. But that's, uh, that was, it was, it was very, uh, very enriching to uh, to see the way the the whole community on board. The, oh, it was an amazing group was, on the Nordlicht, and this uh, and and last year we were in Greenland. Uh, you were not part of this, but uh, with a different uh, to, with a different uh, expedition guide and uh, on a different ship. And it, it's always it's always like that. It's it's always a matter of finding the. Of of finding out what the what makes the group tick, what the individuals need, and then to to uh, provide that as good as possible. Um, yeah, and uh, and my role was relatively simple because I just had to show you, like, well, we we agreed beforehand what you wanted to to find out, and we uh, we kind of defined the program, and then uh, and then we went out, and then uh, it was up to you to. Uh, to make the best out of it. Yeah, but but without uh, some some experienced expedition guidance from you, um, we wouldn't have been able to do this. One of the wildlife encounters, for example, that wouldn't have happened without you was uh, when we saw the walrus. And what you did is um, you, with with all your experience working with walrus and with your knowledge of their behavior, you managed, which was completely, I, I couldn't, believe this was happening you managed to guide a group of uh, about 20 people um to walk along a beach towards the walrus uh, at, at this point i would have expected them to just like flee and go away but you you knew how the group had to behave and stick together to give the right visual appearance and uh, the uh, keep the noise low and things so we got about 50 meters close to these walrus and the photos that we got out of this were, were just from another world because normally you can't get that close if you don't really know what you're doing yeah that is uh I, i'm i'm happy that uh very happy to to have some good positive feedback from from you um i uh of course try to lead you in a way that uh would not disturb the animals because this is one of the things that I think it's uh, exciting with uh, with wildlife photography is when you have things that are not set up. I mean, you can set up part of it. I mean, you can go and look for the walruses and uh, or for any animal and look for a special behavior that you know is pre-existing and then wait for it to happen to take a picture of. But the main thing is that you need to know your animals 
and this is uh, something that allows you to approach them in a way that would bring you as close as possible to to what is uh, to what is your your subject what right your and aim. and all that without really disturbing them and that's kind of the 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 important thing i mean sometimes you hear about uh, wildlife photographers using all matter of technology they have like drones with cameras hanging off of them hovering over wildlife and really disturbing it which uh, i'm not a great fan of um and this what we what we did was really kind of almost like hunters right really sneaking up on them but not in the way that they would get suspicious and then after we took our photos we uh we snuck away again and they were just fine they were just lying there having a good time and and that is uh this is actually the the photo safari <laughs> experience that you have like you are we are going hunting with with cameras for hunting for good pictures and i think it's also very important uh, and with the walruses now it was possible to stay there long enough um so that we would uh, also enjoy being there not just taking the pictures but also understanding the situation because i think that one one of the things that i i find that a lot of photographers actually appreciate is is getting into a situation and understanding the situation and sucking it all in so that you can take the picture that can convey the atmosphere as well true and and that, and that is kind of um important from uh, like when you compose pictures because um you the, uh, one of a few of the things that i will always look out for when i shoot a photo is what is going on in the background and you you can you can have very distracting things in the background of i don't know a flying bird or or uh, some other wildlife where you have like tree branches sticking out of their heads making them look like they have antlers or um or other weird things in the background that distract from the foreground that distract from the subject um for something like flying birds that that is when you will typically uh, end up shooting a lot like bird photographers which is a complete different breed of photographers actually but bird photographers will often have like very long lenses very telephoto lenses and cameras that shoot 15 pictures per second and uh they will it's almost like in a war zone where like if 20 of these cameras go off around you it almost sounds like someone is attacking you with a gun um but you have to kind of do this in order to pick of the few really good ones where the, where the where the wings are looking right and where the reflection in the water is good and so on um so some of that can be quite equipment heavy one thing that i found is uh with some of the wildlife like we had a we had a polar bear encounter once um where the polar bear swam through the fjord in front of the boat uh, and then uh, went on land and then climbed up the the side of a hill and slid down on its back apparently to dry its fur and that was like that was wonderful behavior but we couldn't get as close as my lens would have required <laughs> because hey, would have, you would have had to have a <laughs> like a, a longer lens yeah lens, yes. and and uh th this is one thing i mean i had i had about 450 millimeters of focal length uh on a full frame camera and that was just not quite long enough now now fortunately uh, someone else on the ship one of the other photographers after they had taken their pictures they gave me their uh a zoom lens 150 to 600 millimeters which seems to be a, a range of focal lengths that 
a lot of the bird photographers and wildlife photographers uh, tend to tend to use these days and that got uh, that got me a bit closer that got the magnification up a bit which um f i finally got some closer pictures of that polar bear but yeah that's that's kind of the ranges we're uh looking at um another thing with wildlife that's moving fast especially birds is that if you if you shoot that with a point and shoot camera this is probably not going to work so that's really where equipment gets more important uh, especially cameras that have very good autofocus systems and if i if i look inside the menus of my camera i will find a ton of settings especially about the autofocus where you can tell the camera how uh, how how good it has to it should stick to a moving subject or how quickly it should lose that to favor something else um this is something that uh, that's one of the reasons you need to know your equipment you need to practice with it before you go if you go on an arctic tour for many people that might be a once in a lifetime thing and you want to be prepared you want to have practiced that with uh, stuff around you mind you could stand next to a street and uh, practice on moving cars for example i mean that might raise some other suspicions but <laughs> or might might get people to drive slower <laughs> or that yeah you shouldn't fire the flash of course but um but in in general i mean there will be birds around where you live and you might be able to practice on a few finches and sparrows and things before you then go and uh, take pictures of the puffins or the guillemots even though puffins well uh, puffins are quite stationary aren't they Well, some of the puffins, I mean, when they come out of their burrows, uh, they can stand for a, a little while close to their, on the ground there. But of course, when they are flying, they are flapping their wings like crazy because they are not very efficient at flying. So right. you know, the problem of, of getting the, the, the wings of the puffing, uh, in, in flight is, uh, is probably a challenge. Right. And then you have the, the thing with the, with the light. I mean, the light in the Arctic is different than the light that we have here. It is. Yeah, or lower latitudes. My my first experience of that was many years ago. Well, not that many years ago, but in Iceland, um, when I was uh, for the first time up close to the Arctic Circle, um, I remember distinctly I arrived a day before the group arrived, which I always do. I always add a buffer day to make sure nothing goes wrong. And I had some time to walk the bay of, uh, of Iceland, of Reykjavik. And <clears throat> I... The light was beautiful. It was getting this evening light. The light was getting lower. The sun was getting lower. And it was just warming up everything. And you know, if this, we call this the golden hour, if you get the, this beautiful warm light that is very low in the sky, that that just makes things so magical. And I, I looked at this and I gauged that I would probably have like half an hour left of light and then that's it, um, which I completely missed uh, because of course higher up north it takes longer for the sun to set and sometimes it won't set at all so i ended up um shooting and walking and shooting and walking and then like two and a half hours later i i looked up and the sun was almost in the same spot <laughs> that was yes. that was an eye opener for me that you need to have uh, extra memory cards Oh, yes. Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, you have to have a good workflow down if you use something like Lightroom, for example, to, to work on your photos. Um, with wildlife photography, you tend to shoot a lot more than with other photography. Maybe sports photography is in the same ballpark, but you will have a lot of photos and you will need a good process to work on them, a good workflow to work on them um, that is 
going to keep keep your sanity and uh, I luckily um, I, can, I will actually put a link in the show notes about this I am uh, I have written an ebook which is free you can just download it um, about a Lightroom workflow to help you deal with a lot of photos in a short time it's called one one hour 1000 pics which at one point I really managed to do with this workflow get through a thousand pictures in one hour and I make a point every evening in these settings I will sit down for half an hour or an hour to work on my photos to rate them to to catalog them to edit them to make sure that the the to make sure I let the best ones bubble up in the process and at the end of these tours I I'm always done with my photos on the last day of the tour so because when I get home there's the next thing is already waiting so I'm um pretty much if i if i don't do it right away it will just not be done you know yeah i understand that <laughs> and uh i can see that uh on a, on tours like this you have thousands of photos when you're when you're coming back home it's uh, it's a daunting thing but oh. it's also quite nice to to spend time and remembering the good moments oh absolutely i love surrounding myself with my photos i will i will often print out the best ones or have them printed out because surrounding yourself with your best photos is i think it's important uh, because that will also teach you a lot about photography and then sometimes a photo when I, where i thought it would be like the most amazing photo um, and I hang it up on the wall and then two days later i start getting bored with it and it's sometimes hard to explain why that happens but it has to do with um with your perception being different in the moment and from a distance mm. uh, but then some photos start growing on you and it it's it's often that i cannot really determine if that's good or a bad photo myself because i'm too close to it i'm not I have don't have the distance with the, with it which sometimes it helps to wait for a few weeks and then look at them again because then you will have a bit of distance between yourself and the photos also what i often do is my better half monica she is a great photographer and she has a wonderful eye and she will often look over my shoulder when i edit photos and then she'll go wait wait go back go back that that was a great photo and i was like which one and i go back and i've for me rather boring picture um she will go well, this is amazing make that five stars and print it out and then she's usually right because she doesn't have the same attachment to those photos that i have so that might be another help let someone else have a look at your photos because sometimes you might get, you might get it wrong you might get it totally wrong well, that's, I think that's very good. I think very nice. that is just a little bit of a of a of a little bit of a photography um, entrance into this uh, into this podcast, and I hope that that over the I think over the time we will probably pick out a few detailed topics. If you want to know anything in specific about photography in the Arctic when it comes to snow and wildlife and so on. Um, you can contact us. You uh, will find our contact information on curiouslypolar.com. This is also where you can find all the other episodes. And of course, you can find all the other episodes also wherever you find your other podcasts. If you're not subscribed to this, there's no excuse. It's free. You can get a new episode automatically every week in your podcast client. Just search for Curiously Polar and then click the subscribe button. And of course, you can unsubscribe anytime, just in case we get too boring. 
but we won't. <laughs> That's at least the idea behind it. We'll try hard. <laughs> We're working really hard on this. So, um, and of course, as always, you can leave us a few stars and a rating, a review on iTunes, which is the best place for others to find out about this show. It's also the only way um, for us to be to be seen by others and to be discovered by others. So, I would, um, I w I w we would both love if you could do this and give us a bit more visibility in the iTunes directory which is by the way with in most podcast clients when you search for podcasts this is the itunes directory they pretty much all use that so that's how we get seen and i think that does it for this week we'll we'll come back next week um where i think we'll talk about something cold and something blue Oy. Oy. Mystery. Mystery. <laughs> all right mario <laughs> thanks so much and Talk to you again next week. Stay cool. Thank you, Chris, and uh, stay cool.